Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The finals are upon us. Tatum, Curry, Brown, Thompson, Smart, Wiggins, Horford, Poole, Celtics, Warriors. You can bet on all of the NBA Finals action with betonline.ag, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is June 3rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening We've got ourselves a Game 1 of the NBA Finals to discuss here today on the podcast. It is the full podcast. It is nothing more than the fullest of full podcasts here today on the Take It Easy podcast. And what an interesting game it was. So I'm remiss to do like the one-game sample size evaluations of playoff series and I know the Boston Celtics were underdogs coming in and all that stuff, and they've shot incredibly well in the playoffs against even very good defensive teams. Even this game shocked me by how well the Boston Celtics played. And I know the end of the game is going to be the thing we all remember because the Boston Celtics had a 40-point fourth quarter in which for the first seven minutes of the quarter they scored 26 points and shot 7 of 8 from the three-point line as a team. The Boston Celtics had four players that were over 18 points, and Jason Tatum had 12. Jason Tatum was 3 for 12 from the field shooting. He made three shots, and it didn't matter because Boston did the thing that we kind of like poo-pooed the Celtics for doing back in 2017-2018, which is like, oh, they've got five different guys and all of them can score a good level amount of points. There's no one star carrying the offense. And Boston did that against Golden State. It was Al Horford basically hitting every single three. Derek White hit five three-pointers. Jalen Brown had 24. Like It was just a crazy basketball game in which... The Warriors' defensive effort was like, deny Jason Tatum, deny Jason Tatum. You got Wiggins guarding him a good portion, and then you can flip it over to Draymond sometimes and carry through from that. And and sometimes it was Otto Porter too, and it just didn't matter because they, they forced Tatum to get rid of the ball, and Tatum became this distributor for other teams. And I think in the long run, it's going to be an ineffective strategy just because... Most teams, when you give the ball 
out of the hands of your best player usually does not go well, especially when you're playing a team that has one of those guys that even when they give up the basketball, like LeBron James or like Giannis, they're putting other people in positions to succeed as well. And maybe Jason Tatum's in that spirit and in that camp too, and we're just learning it in front of our eyes. We're still watching just a remarkable, remarkable Boston performance. But let's talk about the full picture of the game here. So Boston finished shooting 51% from the three-point line. They hit 21 three-pointers in the game. Golden State didn't even shoot poorly in the game. Golden State shot 42% from three-point range. And maybe if a couple more Clay Thompson shots go down, or maybe if a couple of those 0 for 4 Draymond Green shots go down, maybe the Warriors are in it. But the Warriors had the game all the way through, and it was looking like one of those historic Steph Curry type of performances, especially in the third quarter when they just ran... I think it was like a 16-2 run, and they went up by 12 points when Boston was up two at halftime. It felt like one of those coordinations for the Warriors to win game one, a game that we've seen so many times before with Golden State. It reminded me of the 2015 finals, actually, where the game that went to overtime that Kyrie Irving got hurt And Golden State won the game, and then they lost the next two, but then they won the next three in the series. I remember that game. And there's a bunch of Warriors ones in there, too. We could go back to, like, the 2016 Conference Finals or the 2016 NBA Finals. But, like, I remember that run for Golden State. And it just felt like every Steph Curry shot was going down. And it felt like Steph Curry could just get to the paint with ease and hit floaters and Euros or uh, pump fake past Derek White and hit scoop layups and shots every time they went up, whether it was Poole or Harrison Barnes or Clay or whoever else you wanted to put in there. Like it just felt like every time they released the ball, the shot was going to go in. And that kind of faded with the Durant teams because they started playing a different style of basketball. And I don't know if I watched enough Warriors games this year to really get the taste of that team getting back together and like getting round or rounding into form around this time. The start of that game just felt like, and maybe it's just because I've seen it so many times over the last decade, but it just felt like every shot's going down. Every time they get close, it's three points and now you're down seven. Now you're down nine. Now you're down 12. Even in the first quarter where Boston was fighting back like an amazing performance. Al Horford was hitting shot after shot after shot. And it was Jalen Brown getting into the paint and hitting buckets. And Marcus Smart hit a couple of three-pointers here and there. Like It felt like Boston was right there, even at times. And the Warriors still just shot after shot after shot. One time it's Otto Porter. The next time it's Jordan Poole. Next time it's Wiggins getting a, a, a feed inside because they're back screening and the Celtics forget to switch and all of a sudden Wiggins is wide open at the rim. And it just it felt like the Warriors basketball that we're used to. And maybe it's because a lot of the players are, are wearing the same uniforms or maybe it's because they went back to the style of play they had when they had the Warriors team. Because basically you could think about it, Wiggins is their Iguodala, which is can get you points biggest asset is he's going to guard the best defender on the court 
and Draymond Green and Kevon Looney are going to stick in the middle and nobody's got a chance of working inside. And the best perimeter player, which one series they happen to play Luka, one series they happen to play Jason Tatum, you're going to have uh, Andrew Wiggins guarding that wing player. And that's the asset he is similar to Iguodala. And the thing that got Iguodala the 2015 Finals MVP, it's like Wiggins is that guy. Jordan Poole is that bench threat like Harrison Barnes, or Harrison Barnes started, but he's just a three-point threat, and Otto Porter would come in and hit a basket here and there, and it just felt like those Warriors teams from the past, even if I knew it wasn't quite the same level of excellence that we came to expect from those Warriors teams, and even still, by the time it got to the fourth quarter, like the Warriors... First, I mean, they, they scored zero points in the first four minutes of the fourth quarter and like three points in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter. But like that five minute stretch in between when they scored pretty much all of their 16 points in the fourth quarter, it was just like curry floater, curry layup. And every time down the floor, it was Pritchard, boom, Horford, boom. There was one stretch where they were just going back and forth down the floor and it was like Warriors layup, Warriors layup. Wiggins three-pointer, and then the other way would be like Al Horford three-pointer, Pritchard three-pointer, Marcus Smart three-pointer, Horford three-pointer, like one after the other. And it actually was that because I remember they go to timeout and Boston's up six, and they showed that the Celtics were seven of eight from the three-point line in the fourth quarter, and they just simply could not miss. And I stopped hating on Boston like, two and a half weeks ago. I know people call me a Celtics hater. I wasn't a Celtics hater. I just was indoctrinated in the fact that, yeah, Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo should be able to beat a team that plays good defense but doesn't really have a definitive number one star. Nope, Boston right there, good enough. They're they're, they're legit, better than Miami, as good as Golden State. Series is going to go six or seven, even if I still think the Warriors are going to win, and I'm not going to bail on that because you don't bail on a pick mid-series, but like... Whew, Boston looked really, really good. They looked so good at basketball. And this is a game that like it felt like it was coordinating for the Warriors to win. When the Warriors are up 12, when does Golden State ever get laughed out of the building at the end? And again, I know this isn't the same Golden State team from 2015. And it's not the same Golden State team from 2016. But it's the closest comparison we have of the Warriors dynasty. Because... The three years with Durant in between, and maybe the 2019 team is the best comp for that, but like even that 2019 team, by the time everything had dragged out, their fourth best player for that run was JaVale McGee. So like I understand the concerns there of like, oh, the 2019 Warriors were kind of similar in that way, but like the, the 2019 Warriors weren't quite the same level that we're talking about here simply because they just had to move their roster around a little bit to account for the fact that Kevin Durant was making the max and Wiggins is making pretty close to the max but still like the point stands the Warriors didn't really have those same assets at their disposal so Golden State is in this interesting place because the Warriors played really really well based on what you can expect them to do And they guarded Jason Tatum incredibly well. And their problem is that Steph Curry is a defensive liability, and Klay Thompson is a defensive liability, and Jordan Poole is a defensive liability, and you have to play a good bunch of them on the floor at the same time. 
Now, what you can bank on is the thing that Miami banked on and almost won or almost snuck out a series with is like Jalen Brown and Al Horford and Marcus Smart. Like those dudes aren't going to score and Derek White's not going to score 21. Smart's not going to score 18 in 30 minutes. Horford's not going to lead the game with 26. Jalen Brown, 24. Like you can bank on that and it'd be a good bet. Boston still has a surprisingly deep offense and there's going to be games where Jason Tatum does play well and even when he's not scoring he's still affecting the game because oh my gosh he has 13 assists and the next closest player is five so everything in the Celtics offense is going to work through Tatum and maybe Tatum puts people in positions to succeed and they don't succeed I think Boston will live or die with that I don't think it's going to be enough to lose four out of seven games I don't think Boston's going to be in a place where Tatum can effectuate the offense even as he's passing and only taking 12 shots and in this game only making three, but like say he made seven, which I guess is like a Jason Tatum average, but let's say like six is his average. If he makes six shots from the field, he has 20 points. And if Horford has three or if Jalen Brown has five which it happens less often, but like is possible or Marcus smart shoots zero for seven or whatever it might be. Like maybe that's what the warriors are banking on on. We can score enough offense, but it's not like the warriors aren't also susceptible to the 20% shooting game also. So like no series is over after one game. I'm going to stick to the analysis at the beginning. Cause I think the analysis was sound Boston like against the warriors did. Ex- they, they followed the strategy to a T for how to beat the Warriors. And yes, they hit a ridiculously large amount of shots. That's totally understandable. The Warriors also hit a really high, high amount of shots. And what's interesting about that is this was the pinnacle of both of those teams. This is both teams playing incredible basketball. And game one of the finals was so much fun. When it was back and forth, it's like, Boston three-pointer, Warriors three-pointer. At the start of the game, it's like Wiggins three-pointer, Wiggins layup, Steph Curry six three-pointers in the first quarter. Oh my God, Boston wiped out a six three-pointer game for Steph Curry. That's so remarkable. They were able to wipe out a six three-pointer quarter. And yes, Steph didn't really hit another one the rest of the game. I think he hit one in the fourth quarter. But like, yeah, he didn't hit another one the rest of the game. But a six three-pointer quarter and the Warriors didn't have shit at the end of the game. It's the thing that makes the Warriors susceptible in this situation. They're still betting favorites and rightfully should be betting favorites. And even still, it's just like, ugh, they hit so many shots early and Boston just every time had a punch and another punch. And eventually it was like, Curry hits a floater, Curry hits a layup, Curry's doing all of the magical things and it just didn't matter at the end. And that's super fascinating because the solution for the Warriors is just hoping Boston misses more shots because the defensive reinforcements aren't really coming. The strategy was deny Tatum and dare everyone else to beat you. And lo and behold, everyone else beat them. Like Al Horford, Jalen Brown, and Derek White combined had 71 points. If you add in Marcus Smart, that's 89 points between the four of those guys. And so they said, I dare you to beat us, and and Boston did. And if Boston can do that in this game where the Warriors offense was sound and snappy and working great against the Boston defense, which we know the Boston defense is incredible because we saw it 
in the second quarter, and we saw it in the fourth quarter during these basketball games. Like, we know that they can effectuate change inside, and all of a sudden it's like, missed shot here, missed shot here, missed shot here. The beauty is that Boston's offense was able to capitalize on it, and they did that against the Bucks, and they did that against the Heat at certain points, which I guess I'm just, like, playing the results and saying it's the games they won against the Miami Heat, but even still, like, Boston capitalized enough offense and Jason Tatum is enough of a playmaker to where even when he's only taking 12 shots a game which I know is a a specific number for this there were a lot of 12 shot games against the Heat too for Jason Tatum he once scored 30 points taking 12 shots and he once and in this game he scored 12 points while taking 12 shots so like even if Tatum's only taking 12 shots he's able to effectuate change in other places because they're leaving Horford open. They're leaving Smart open. They're leaving Derek White open. Jalen Brown, not so much, but they're forced to put Clay Thompson on Jalen Brown. And Clay Thompson's just not the same defensive player that he once was. So the, the problem for the Warriors is that no matter what, and, and maybe this leads to them putting more Otto Porter on the floor. I saw he played 12, uh, 24 minutes. Iguodala played a quarter. And like maybe having Iguodala back helps, but banking on Iguodala is just a death sentence to a certain point because like the Warriors have great interior defense fantastic interior defense and if Al Horford and Marcus Smart and Derek White and Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams who had zero points in this game but if they're going to be allowed to just keep shooting from the perimeter eventually Boston's going to be able to hurt you and I know like the joke about Boston is that they never were able to draft the shooter of their dreams like they passed on Tyler Hero and they let Terry Rozier walk out the building. And the, the reason they lost to Miami in 2020 was they just didn't have enough shooting. I'm not saying that like Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, and Marcus Smart is, and Al Horford is the solution. It's, not, it's less of a problem than it was before. Where like, when given open shots, they're at least hitting them except for Marcus Smart. <laughs> Marcus Smart, not so much. But everyone else, when given open shots, they're hitting them. And that's kind of the beauty that Boston has at this point is if we can just hit open shots and Tatum can draw double teams and draw the entire effort of the defense to deny him and, you know, tough shit, that might be the difficulty of Tatum. It's not like LeBron where he can beat double teams and still get buckets overhead. Like he takes a lot of tough shots. And if you put enough defense, especially Wiggins, who's a really good defensive player, if you put enough pressure on him, it's not going to work out. And that's the strategy the Warriors were banking on, and they got burned in game one. And tough, you know, tough shit, got burned in game one, tough break. Come back, try again. Your offense, you know, hopefully Clay Thompson scores more points. Hopefully Looney and Draymond and whatever else score. But like Draymond and Looney, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a huge basketball analyst at midnight on a Friday night either but like Draymond and Looney taking on Robert Williams who's just there to effectuate defense that's the interesting part about this series is based on the way these teams play like Robert Williams Draymond Green and Kevon Looney and I guess Grant Williams to a certain extent based on the way they used him off the bench in game one because like Grant Williams was always there for like a defensive stop or like there was one play where um, I mean, this is more Robert Williams, but there was one play early where the ball just kind of got flopped into the backcourt and Wiggins picked it up 
and Wiggins was like one-on-one with Robert Williams and he just had no chance of getting past him and Robert Williams blocks the ball out of bounds I think it was like 17 to 14 at that point but like that was a moment where I'm like oh I understand why people were talking about Robert Williams as defensive player of the year like he just he put his butt I mean and he was also a foot behind Wiggins originally but he put his body in front of Wiggins Wiggins had no recourse he just threw up a layup five feet from the basket and it got blocked by Robert Williams and that was a like a wow moment there and Grant Williams had little moments like that too where I just like looked up and he was like scrapping with Draymond offensively or he was getting a weird looking rebound and and you know almost getting a steal I know he didn't have any points but like the point I was having for is like Draymond and Looney and Williams and well Grant and Robert Williams they exist in this series to be defensive nuisances inside but the problem is they're being defensive nuisances for teams that don't have interior offensive presence like the Warriors have interior offensive presence with Steph Curry dribbling around people and they have interior offensive presence because they keep switching when they do those backdoor screens and shit like that with like Wiggins or Thompson but once you get to the rim there's very little that you can do at that point so like maybe it denies Curry a couple times here and there but like Steph Curry around the rim is one of the most offensively gifted players in history he can hit you with floaters he can beat Derek White with pump fakes and banks off the glass and reverse layups and getting free throws because he's a 90 something percent free throw shooter like you're gonna have a tough time there but like if you're denying interior offense Boston and Golden State don't have that it's one of the weak spots of teams that already were like the 13th and 12th ranked offenses in the league this year. I know Boston was better in the second half of the season, but like offenses that are above average and are predicated on their best players being on the perimeter kind of makes it so like Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, they're doing great work inside, but it's not actually effectuating the defense in the ways they're hoping. Now it's making it so that those guys can't get layups inside. And if Looney goes for 20 like he did against Dallas, yeah, you're you're screwed because you're still shooting 35% from three. As long as the other team doesn't shoot 51% like the Celtics did, like you're fine. But even still, because these teams' offenses aren't as dominant on the interior, Looney and Green and... Williams and Horford or Williams and Grant Williams become less valuable in this series because their defensive presidences are affecting each other who already aren't great offensive players like Draymond is not a great offensive player on the perimeter and in interior he can get you some but his strength is distributing inside so that guys can get corner threes and Draymond's strength obviously is defensively but like Looney's strength is swatting passes out of the air and all that stuff so in that regard I don't know if they help each other as much and I also don't think this series is going to come down to just who shoots the ball better between the Warriors and the Celtics because I've seen those perimeter defenses deny shots and deny them the options that they want and yeah Curry's still going to get up 15 shots a game but sometimes it's going to be 7 for 15, and sometimes it's going to be 4 for 15. And the difference in that is, like, Curry goes for 27, or Curry goes for 38. And that's a pretty big difference when the margins are so thin at this deep a stage of the season. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. 
as we go into game two. It's a really, really interesting finals, and I'm really, really interested to see how this plays out. That's all I have for tonight. It is very late. I'm going to get some sleep. Thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. Thank you for stopping in as you always do. I found it funny that there were just a teensy-weensy bit of Boston fans who marched their way over to San Francisco for this game. That arena got so quiet at the end. Oh, other thing I'll add as like a uh, a, a fun little tidbit there. I kind of like Mark Jones as the broadcaster. So Mike Breen has COVID, and so he's like on the mend right now. I forgot to mention this before we sign off, but Mike Breen is on the mend on the COVID report. And I thought it was interesting that Mark Jones finally gets to call a big game. Cause the thing that people complained about in the NFL is like, there's only like, there's only so many big game broadcasters. And so Joe Buck, Jim Nance, uh, Al Michaels, those are the people that we regard as quote unquote, big game broadcasters. And Mike Tirico gets a little bit of it too, but because they're the only ones who call Super Bowls, games of the week, Sunday night football, because of that, those are the people that we associate with big games. But the reason they're associated with big games is not because they have quote unquote big game voices. It's because they're the ones who always get the big game. So people talked about this with Mike Breen. Everyone was like, oh, it's not a game seven without Mike Breen. It just feels like an NBA on T or an NBA on ESPN Tuesday at 5.15 in the afternoon. And I think the reason is just Mark Jones has never gotten to call a finals game. Doris Burke gets to call the finals games on radio now, but Doris Burke was a big game voice because she was the sideline reporter for years and years and years. And so that was the escalation to now Doris Burke and Kevin Harlan get to call the finals on the, the Westwood One radio. And so I love that Mark Jones gets a chance to be the finals guy because no matter what, if you add stakes to these games, I get the same warm fuzzies that I felt as a child because the NBA Finals is so much fun and you've added so many stakes to these games. And getting those warm fuzzies and hearing Mark Jones's voice on the broadcast is a great way to indoctrinate you into a new broadcaster. It's the reason why I love Brian Anderson and why it was sad that Brian Anderson didn't get to call the conference finals again like he got to in the NBA bubble last year. And this, or I guess that would be two years ago now, he got to call the conference finals in the bubble because there was no Marv Albert and Kevin Harlan was doing football. And so I was hoping that we'd get that all over again and, and Brian Anderson could be a big game broadcaster. He gets to do it for baseball. Brian Anderson's the lead, you know, TBS baseball guy. So like you get that. He's the lead voice for baseball and maybe his broadcasting voice is connotative to baseball because that's just what we're used to hearing him call games on. But I really like that Brian Anderson got to be a big game broadcaster. I like that Kevin Burkhart's going to get to be big game broadcaster for Fox this year. I like that Mark Jones gets to be big game broadcaster for ESPN. Mark Jackson, I forgot how dull you were without Jeff Van Gundy. Really needed that Jeff Van Gundy tag in there also. But obviously, COVID is running rampant through that broadcast booth. So I like that Mark Jones got to call game one. I hope he gets to call game two. If we switch back to Mike Breen, so be it. I'm just glad that he gets to call a couple big games so we get big game voice Mark Jones for the NBA Finals so that we have more than just Mike Breen and Kevin Harlan and Marv Albert 
as our big voice broad, and they're the only broadcasters that we get to associate with games. I like distributing the wealth on these broadcast jobs. So that was my extra point for the game, and uh, we'll see what happens in game two. I guess we'll be back on Monday to talk about it. So make sure to leave a five-star review. Make sure to leave a download. Make sure to check out our new Twitter page, our new Instagram page. All of that is available with the link in the description to this episode. It's the one that says like CKSAML, whatever productions. You can get all of that. It is now Friday, officially June 3rd, because it is literally midnight at the time of recording this. I'm going to go to sleep. I hope you enjoyed game one. I am super exciting. I am I'm super excited and super exciting. I like to think my voice is super exciting. And uh, yeah, take it easy, everybody. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Well, I guess on Sunday because it's a weekend and we don't do Saturdays. Take it easy. <laughs>